Welcome everybody to Mind Rolling, another podcast on the Be Here Now Network. And uh, we just were talking before we got on, and uh, it, it's been years, Mitch Ablett, years, years, years. It's it's kind of weird. And so, anyhow, Mitch said, "Yep, few things have happened since that time that we last did a podcast and chatted." Few things, yes. And what about you, though, since that time? Everyone has been uh, healthy and and well. I had uh, some close family members that had had COVID, but uh, all made it through uh, okay. So that's that's wonderful. That's uh, great. in my clinical practice, I haven't had anyone, you know, directly, but you know, a lot of people have lost uh, people. So a lot of people, um, yeah, a lot, a lot of, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of sadness. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, even just indirectly, you know, I've never seen the, uh, in the, the market here in Boston, it just has, it seems like there was a therapist on every corner. Uh, you know, so many people saying they have no, no spots for, for new patients. I, I hear of this we've heard of it and we actually, there's a a platform called better help. It's like a a little bit of an ad for them, but not really because that's what they do. They, they get online, they get you finding out what it is you need and they hook you up with an authorized therapist and you get online yeah. It's it's also not as expensive, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I, I'm quite aware of that because of that reason. They're helping uh, sponsor Be Here Now Network. And, but we should, so Mitch practices, is a therapist, is also a writer and speaker. And uh, I, so I, we, we uh, got this book called Prizeworthy, and uh, I didn't really know that you entered into that you were part of the field of uh, around children and child psychology. Yeah, I, I think when we had chatted before, it was around my other book with Shambhala that was not kid focused. It was right, you know, adult focused. Um, but I've written I've written quite a bit over the years, uh, having worked so long with kids and families. You know, my Yes, yeah, so I've kind of jumped around a bit in my publishing, but yeah, you know, this one was very much focused on kids and for parents, you know, educators, you know, those that are in a caregiving role with kids. Mm. It's funny you say the last book was, oh, for adults and uh, ways to get more conscious in terms of your day-to-day life. Uh, and this is, of That's course, right. for kids. Yeah, well, this is this is absolutely right on for any adult. Okay, there's some of the things that are in here that relate to the to the ways in which uh, we get captured into the habitual patterns and and how it starts. Are um, you know absolutely? Oh boy! Yeah, you know it. It, it uh, it's crucial that you know those of us parental figures. You know, you know we. You know, not just try to show up to to do lists and hacks and strategies, you know, you know, there are endless parenting books and blogs and, you know, whatever, you know, out there. And and it's not that the material is bad. It's there's so much inner 
uh, work and need for self-compassion for the for the parent and you know so much need to really go in and bring mindfulness to bear around those long-standing habit patterns that maybe they're from long before they had kids so that they can much more fully show up uh, mm, yeah. and connect with their kids. Uh, and um, boy, oh boy, you did say some water passed under the bridge since we last chatted. And yes. And and there's the extremity of uh, need uh, in in this particular with kids home all the time. I, I just uh, it's it's a tough thing all around, and and even more need for help for people to reach out. Oh, absolutely! I mean, my kids were home for for months. Uh, they, you know, here in Massachusetts, went back to school before other states did. Um, but you know, you know, just. I remember how hard it was for them, how hard it was for my wife and I, and and we had plenty of access to resources and supports and whatnot. So there's, like I said, there's just so much uh, suffering out there and people doing the best they can uh, to show up to their kids. But uh, what I feel like they don't need is another set of shoulds, mm. you know, to, to feel less than around. So that was something I bore in mind because I wrote the majority of this book, um, you know, before the holidays uh, this past year. So, you know, during, during, during the pandemic. The, yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, people, people need a uh, practicable way of showing up in the moment with their kids more, but not anything that's going to weight them down and, cause them to feel worse about themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, okay, so prizing is the name of the book, and uh, pretending I don't really know what it means, uh, I would say to you, uh, I w- sure, whatever it is, I didn't get it. <laughs> I missed the boat. So, yeah, tell us prizing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I... It, this this book and the concept of prizing comes out of my work for 20 plus years with kids with pretty significant emotional behavioral challenges, various different populations. And I learned through stubbing my toes early on in my professional work that, A, I had to deal with my own stuff more. And that, that's ultimately what led me into meditation in the first place. You know, I was a huge skeptic. I may have told you this when we talked before. I was first presented, uh, you know, John Kabat-Zinn's Wherever You Go, There You Are when I was a grad student. Heard of it. And I'm like, what's this hoop? You know, this is not science. You know, it turns out it was even then, but it was new. But anyway, I I my own stuckness my own habit patterns you know you know led me into struggling to clinically help kids particularly kids that their behavior is really gnarly it's really can be really disruptive and off-putting and what i found and and had some really good teachers uh one mentor in particular that i dedicated the book to um is that there's a paradoxical way to really connect with kids, particularly the kids that are struggling in a given moment, which all kids do, all of us do. 
Um, but instead of the standard kind of behavior management approach, you know, reinforcing them and rewarding them for positive or adaptive, skillful behavior, punitive or consequential behavior for the, the negative, you know, it's not that, you know, that's what conditioning is. All of us are conditioned by pain and pleasure, right? Um, our brains are wired to respond to contingencies like that. And yet what I found is that if, if that is our only mindset, you know, kind of the, what I call the praise and blame paradigm with kids, you know, that we're going to, I'm going to praise you or I'm going to blame you. And I'm, I'm going to point the finger when you're doing things that are inappropriate, we're going to miss something. We're going to miss moments many thousands of moments with kids, whether they're our kids or someone else's kids and like me as a therapist working with them. So prizing, uh, which is consistent with all of the really cool research that's been done now for years, people like Carol Dweck um, out your way in California that have you know, shown that praise, even well-intentioned of kids, like, hey, you're such a smart dude, you're such a smart kid, you're so creative. It can feel good to a kid. Um, not every kid. Some of the kids I work with really react negatively because it doesn't fit their conditioning to be called mm. smart or creative or whatever. But even the kids that it feels good to in the moment, you know, maybe they struggle with anxiety patterns. Maybe they have ADHD patterns. You know, maybe not behavior at the level that I've seen it. But maybe they have some degree of struggle so they don't show up to smart or creative in every situation. But that's the praise they've been hearing from family members. And you're such, but dude, you're so smart. Yeah. I, you're such a smart kid. What's going on with this, this math over here? And, and, and the kid over thousands of iterations of that, they start to have this internal bar, this very high bar that's been set by no one's necessary direct intention, but then they always, they can often feel like in certain situations where anxiety or ADHD or learning issues or trauma issues, I'm not cutting it. I'm not showing up to that bar that people seem to mm -hmm. set for me. Mm -hmm. And so then they start to struggle and the research is really clear. Also when kids feel like praise, even if it feels good in the moment, it's like, this person's only going to fully engage me if I do that stuff for them more. And so what I really started to galvanize after all this clinical work where it's like, no, if you show up fully to a kid in a moment and like we do with babies, but now we're talking about older kids play peekaboo emotionally with them. It's like, I see you in this moment that we're both in and I have a truth of my experience in this present moment. And so do you. And I'm super curious as to how you're experiencing things now, whether it's something that's possible for you that you want to go after, a risk that you want to take that's an adaptive risk, something you want to take on, or pain that you're in. And I want you to know that that experience that you're having and how you're showing up to it matters to me. And that can, you know, so that, that's a lot of words, but it can be done in gesture, other ways of saying it. So it's but not a, not necessarily a dialogue, sorry. It doesn't have to be. I've, I've, 
I've, I've had prizing as my treatment plan. It makes note writing really easy. You know, you know, each person prize them, you know, so it, it's, it's different than praise that has that contingency to it or an agenda in the future. Prizing is all about, and this is why it's all about mindfulness. It's, mm. you know, it's all in that moment. Mm-hmm. It's these moments mm-hmm. of uh, playing peekaboo and there's no agenda other than connection with the experience of the kid. Yeah. Uh, there's some philosopher writer. I, I cannot remember her name, but uh, it goes something like this, this aphorism from her. The most generous action you can take with another individual is giving them full attention. Love so, it. It, it. That sits right, that's, you know, that's right there, right there. And you, you, you also talk about it, uh, it's about the here and now. And and obviously talking about mindfulness, and uh, I just was talking to somebody recently about this in terms of mindfulness and the reality that there's a big dependence on where that perspective is within you. If it includes all that judging bullshit that we do moment to moment, it's it's not mindfulness. <laughs> And yes. to get there is practice, of course. But in this situation, what we're talking about uh, giving, uh, especially, let's say, a teenager who's like done something really off the wall or it's a serious matter and you have a tremendous emotional investment in being, A, being right, A, reacting to your own conditioning, as you said before, very yes. difficult to just be here now, be in the moment, and and be able to. Very hard. Yeah, it's excruciatingly hard, and and there's no uh, there's no way around that. You know that that's why this isn't a uh, a book about hacks or simple you know, seven steps to perfection as a parent. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's really about a path that you set with deep intention um, and that that prize is not about some a on their report card or, you know, that they're, they had they're you're going to unearth this talent for them. That's going to get them national or international acclaim. All that stuff can be fine. You know, the prize is in that moment that's easily missed. And it's that moment of complete we an equivalence of experience between the adult and the kid where you're just like we do with babies. Like you're not thinking about the future when you're playing peekaboo with a baby. You're not worried about whether you're looking ridiculous. You're lit <laughs> up by that moment. Yeah. You're lit up. Kid. Yeah. Lit up by divine presence. If they're, you know, yeah. a few months old and they're just coming from there. And that's why people just let go into it's uh, similar to the experience Ramdas had and we had when we went to India and met this being same kind of a thing. Um, but back to, to the reality is this takes a lot of work uh, on, on everyone's part. Uh, and as you say, all you need is intention that, and, and then the rest will fall suit. It just might take a little bit of time. Uh, That's right. But so you have one thing in here, uh, Mitch, that's uh, fostering a flexible uh, self-sense in in children. And um, uh, 
it's around the sense of self, uh, and you talk about being a, th- a series of thoughts and mental pictures, you know, which make up the story we tell ourselves about who we are. Um, yes. So uh, these mental meanderings, quoting from you, of words and images leave traces in our memory representing our patterns of learning what about the world will bring us pain and pleasure? The traces in our brains are sparked into our awareness by sensation of the stimuli in our daily lives. And you refer to uh, someone named Borstein, lets us in on a secret hidden in, hidden in plain sight. Our brain never stops telling ourselves that it is I, me, and mine. There was a song, I think, the Beatles did about that. That is choosing <laughs> and deciding and living this life, yeah. yeah. Um, so it made me think, actually, that about this movie we did with Ram Dass a couple of years ago called uh, Becoming Nobody. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. But I haven't it, seen it. I haven't uh, I think you'd enjoy it's it's just that becoming nobody and what's entailed and using himself as a, a, a the personal transitional kind of being that we are as we go through all this stuff but so it ended up uh, we had a talk at one time after this movie came out and of course people it's this is a far-reaching thing to be without clinging attachment judgment uh Boy, uh, boy, are we going to get there? You know that kind of thing. And yeah. so we we talked about it in terms of before there's any kind of letting go of of these uh, the kalashas the Buddhists say the attachments and the fear and all of it. Uh, before that happens, there has to be a somebody there to let go of something. So yeah. uh, we we talked about developing enough of a you know, a righteous I, and that eventually you start to step behind and see that I is not who you are necessarily. It is this incarnation and all of the uh, the, the causes and conditions, etc., to make you, you know, who you were. So, yeah, yes. so that seems to be very much a part of, of what uh, you're speaking of here in terms of these children really developing something that can be worked with, kind of, right? Yes, yes. I, I, I see so much of in the clinical work I do, even with young kids, that their conditioning from five years on and up starts to really solidify around this narrative self, right? And particularly if they've struggled mightily you know there's a lot of i am stupid or i am bad or i am depressed i am you know adhd and i've really you know i when i hear that it there's a sadness you know because they are not that you know, they are experiencing that narrative and they're experiencing the things that are Velcroed to it. Um, but it, it's something that I think prizing, you know, this frame that I'm putting on these moments of weeness of, uh, it's kind of like, uh, it's so intentional. I, I, I thought of it recently and I don't think I put this in the book. You know, you know prizing is like weaponized love <laughs> on behalf of, of a child. 
And, uh, you know, the, it can go in there and, and uh, like Sylvia Borstein says uh, in her one book, and I quoted in this book somewhere, you know, we're way more verbs than we are nouns. Mm. And we can start teaching that, not necessarily directly with the words, but in how we relate to the kids in the present moment. I am mm. having this experience and you are having that experience and it matters. It's here. Right. Right. Uh, the, yeah. The, the kind of trust that engenders is uh, unimaginable uh, what it can do to change someone's life. And, and I have that experience as an adult somewhat of an adult in my early 20s <laughs> it's debatable for me too yeah <laughs> uh when i first met rob das and he created exactly what you were talking about there was no richard alpert no ram das there's what is it that this space can create to give you what you need and he just be here now in that moment so i that engine i've told this story a million times mitch but every time it's it's great for me because I remember that trust and having that kind of trust and the unconditionality which created it for him not you know allowing everything to be in that moment without any kind of mental crap at all it's a it's a big thing and and uh, so I'm sure you you've heard his holiness has talked about our emancipation for the future uh, in terms of yeah. the, all the conditions that we are under now. And he said, it's all about mothers. I am who I am. Mm. The, the compassion that I have developed and, and so on and so forth. This comes from my mother. This is what we need to do. This will make the change. And uh, it made me think yeah. of, um, I, think, do you know, I think you probably know Mark Epstein. Uh, he's a Buddhist uh, yeah. psychologist. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he. I haven't met him in person, but I've read his work. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one, I just remember because I did a couple of podcasts with him, but related to what you and I are talking about, um, he has somebody named D.W. Winnicott that he uses and references a lot. I mean, you got, yeah. you probably know. Of course, I know nothing, and I do not know, except for the fact... <laughs> I know he's... very little about Winnicott. But... Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, he, it made sense. I've I mean, heard the name over and over. Yeah. Yeah. It made sense, and this is why I wanted your feedback. It's the mother's function, he says, to create an environment for her baby in which it is safe to be nobody. That's what caught me as soon as I, I read that. What? Yes. Because it is only out of such a place that the infant can begin to find herself. It is not so much a question of giving the baby satisfaction as of letting the baby find and come to terms with the object, breast, bottle, milk, etc. And then he goes on to say the mother is yeah. responsible for background as well as foreground. And this kind of connected me with what you have been saying. She must let the baby yeah. find the object, not just provide it immediately. When this space is offered to a child, it develops into yeah. the capacity for unrestricted, unimpaired awareness that becomes the foundation for looking into the self in later years. I found that super 
fascinating. fascinating. By, ac- yeah. by ac- accessing this ability, we're able to feel our way into ourselves just as the infant learns to explore her early in- environment. Uh, I mean, yeah, this is all around... Boy, this is complex stuff in terms of relating, especially with the, in the formative stages of baby, you know, from birth to the first year, year and a half, I guess, form so much. Yes. And how do we drop ourselves yep. out of that to, to stop trying to control and stop, uh, stop the inherited bullshit, you know, and carry it into the next generation? So... It, it, it is, like we've said, exquisitely hard. And yet I was just, uh, you know, chatting with, uh, I don't know if you've met him, Chris Germer, who has no. you know, written quite a bit about self-compassion. And he's a psychologist and a mentor of mine. And uh, he and I were talking about how prizing is the reward in and of itself for the parent and the child in that moment, that moment of interbeing, to use Thich Nhat Hans term, right? You know, mm-hmm. that interpenetration and dropping, even for just a moment of the narrative, there's a reinforcement in that it, it's positive. It, it connects. And, you know, so you, you can at least temporarily drop out of, fixation on outcomes that you can't control. And, and I think that's powerful. Our brains, actually, if we really practice, we can have these moments of meaning um, that are felt and the narrative, it's like the Grand Canyon moment, you know, the, the narrative can't say anything about it. Hmm. And uh, Hmm. we can have that with our kids and even you know, everyday moments. And, and that, that can be, that's important for uh, people to understand because it can feel like, well, this prizing stuff, it sounds like it's impossible. You, you're never going to get there. And yet if you intentionally show up, even though you're going to have your habit pattern, you're going to get stuck over and over again, you're going to still raise your voice. Uh, you're still going to lose it, but you'll know I dropped in and there was that moment. And that's, what this is about. Yeah. That's why I said before, this isn't, this is a, the book is quite useful for all ages. I think it's uh, G-rated for all ages because it's about (laughs) (laughs) becoming present and becoming mindful and working on yourself. Uh, This is such an opportunity with, with a child uh, to do that, you know, it's, uh, it's amazing. And, and you have a whole thing on um, parental uh, presence and. I, so I, I go back to, okay, what can one suggest to parents that the kind of lives we have with all the pressures that are, are going on now in our culture and society, uh, how do we even find a moment to allow some spaciousness and some wholeness come in to our lives where we can devote even just a few, how do we, how do we, uh, maneuver that without having to go to a meditation course or do anything sort of radical because we don't have the time really 
and sometimes not the means, but there is a way. So, yeah. How do you speak to parents about that? Yeah. Yeah. I, the first thing I've been saying to parents for a while is, you know, again, drop the shoulds around that you should be sitting, you know, if you can do it, great. But, you know, like in terms of formal practice out of the moment from your kids, you know, if, you know, sitting for 30 minutes every morning for most parents, particularly parents of young kids, forget it. You know, they're not, they're not doing it. Um, and yet if they can sit for 30 seconds and follow their breath, the sensation of the breath, and just really notice that that agenda of control just doesn't work. You can't control the thoughts. You can't choose your thoughts. Um, particularly thoughts about your kids are going to penetrate in the you know, agenda of the day. And, and yet notice that if you just show up to watching, as we know from meditation, you know, things are okay in the noticing. Even though you can't control it, you can't control what bodily sensation shows up or thought. So it's a way to kind of create little mini proving grounds that it's okay to not have, you know, control this little inner CEO that's choosing and deciding. And then in moments with your kids, start with moments that are positive. You know, they may be few and far between, but really intentionally drop in and notice, you know, the the mutual influence of those moments that when you show up and let the kid know, I see you there. I see this moment with you. And watch what happens and for them. Watch what happens for you. So it's these brief moments of dropping in to just give parents that are harried and struggling. Yeah, there's something to this. When I just really get present in these small ways, some it's like, uh, you know, the, I was a Boy Scout when I was a kid. And, you know, we'd have council fires, you know, and a clearing the, the woods may be ringing it and it's dark because it's nighttime. You know, a prizing moment with a kid is the adult is like, I'm going to sit down at this warm fire. I'm going to sit here by the fire. And instead of going over and trying to twist the arm of the kid to come over and sit down, you're like, I see you over there. I'm over here. You, you want to come join me? And when you rouse the kid's curiosity, which we can do in many different ways, we can find ways to say, I don't know, I'm, I'm wanting to go play over here, but I'll just go play myself. It's the rare kid that'll just ignore you. <laughs> you know, we can pied piper them into having a moment of, you know, interconnection. But, you know, when kids sit down at that fire and then we look over at them and say, I see you sitting here and it matters to me that you're here. You know, and I think that's it. And, and so that can be done in infinite ways. But I think people need to start very small and also start getting curious. What are my habit patterns? What are the things that get triggered that then, and that's what my, that last book that we talked about is all about, like yeah. winding from those hindrances, right? Yeah. Hindering patterns. Yeah. But, you know, that's long and ongoing work. You know, people need to just show up to the breath notice the lack of choice and control and that it's okay. Things are okay as they unfold and then show up to that with your kids. Yeah. Create, have these moments of 
sharing. Show up to the breath, though. Uh, and it's a, a very, very simple but powerful way to transform the moment. And uh, there's a great book. I, did you read this, read about this book, Breath? It's called Breath. I can't remember. I did a podcast with it. I haven't read it yet. Oh, it's really good. It's really good. And I've been utilizing it since. It's it's The core of it is we are breathing through our mouths, which is causing enormous problems. And mm. breathe through your nose and five and a half seconds in, five and a half seconds out. Do that for five minutes whenever you can get a chance. You'll be shocked <laughs> at yeah, the difference. It's uh, quite amazing. Yeah, breath. James Nestor, that's it. I'm so yeah, proud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, everyone's talking about that book. I'll, I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Or go to the podcast, too, on Mind Rolling. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a good guy. <laughs> um, so I like this, this uh, chapter um, about reframing a problem behavior. But the thing you point out is the Leave it to Beaver show. When As soon as I read that, oh, my God. I'm, and I'm from Montreal. We didn't get all the same shows. We got Canadian, which are you know really... Um, less perniciously exciting, shall we say, uh, than Leave it to Beaver. <laughs> um, yeah. But just this is the model. It's terrifying, yeah. right? This is the model. Right. right. The angry, sk uh, from, you know, this wonderful, nice vanilla woman loosens her angry scowl and shifts into the nurturing mother she's famous for being and reframes the approach of, like, what in the shit are you doing, you little punk? Right. Uh, and then, Wally, do you remember a couple of years ago when Beaver found that old hat? I mean, I can, I'm watching the show as I'm reading the shit that you got. In <laughs> oh, man. And um, behavioral reframing. Talk about that. Mitch. Yeah. I, I, it's, uh, it's an important part of this, you know, you know, prizing is a mindset. It's an intention. Um, and then it's, it's, uh, inner and outer action. Uh, you know, that again, that weaponized love. So reframing is a crucial part of it because kids inevitably are going to quote unquote misbehave. And the conditioning in us, the control conditioning of trying to push away the painful quality of those moments as parents or teachers or whatever, is to see that behavior as bad and therefore needing to be controlled. The reframe is essentially, a, you know, an inquiry that is curious about how there might be a pain point in that child, a need, a universal human need, you know, Abraham Maslow and his pyramid, mm. where that need is feeling threatened to that kid in some way. And so they are experiencing pain and their behavior is a self-protective mechanism, their own beginnings of habit patterns. And so when you just get curious and just assume and this is what I've learned as a therapist working with kids. Just assume they're self-protecting. Because they, mm. if the behavior is off-putting, they're trying to take care of themselves. 
It doesn't mean that you're going to be okay with that behavior and be permissive. This is not a book about permissive parenting. You know, the reason mm -hmm. is clear, that is bad. Um, but it's a it's about presence that then sees behind, doesn't assume, like, here's what's going on for you, kid. You are on layer three of Maslow's hierarchy, and that's what's leading you. You know, it's not that certain. It's mindfully curious and assuming that that kid must be self-protecting from a threatened need. And so the behavior, the comment might be, it looks like you're letting me know, kiddo, that something's stuck for you versus stop doing that. You know, what is it that's not fitting for you right now? Help me understand. And there can, you know, they may continue with their behavior and eventually there, there might be an and you know, there's the stuckness that I'm curious about, and it's not okay to shout in my face. That doesn't feel good to me right here and now. That's not okay, dude. Yeah. So it's not passive. You can still set limits. You can still, you you know, particularly kids that act out, they, they, they need fences in order to have that secure attachment. They need to feel safe with the adult. And this is what Winnicott was saying that you were quoting they need that parental container that feels mm. safe. Kids I've worked with, they didn't feel very safe with adults. They may have been directly traumatized, abused, neglected, um, invalidated over and over, control dynamics over and over. So we have to work extra hard with those kids. Say, no, I'm here and I'm, I'm not going anywhere. And mm. I see you and that behavior don't fly with me. Yeah. And that's powerful when you combine all of that. But yeah. reframing is key because otherwise you're going to be in that reactive zone. Yeah. Right. It's endless loop, endless loop. Yeah. It's funny because uh, Ramdas used to talk about uh, how he went out of his way to please his entire young adult life till he got to India. Yeah. He was. It was his parents, it was his family, it was his co-workers, it was his bosses. Whatever it was, he went out of his way to please and in order to be loved. That's the way you're, you're loved. That's the way we were brought up. And then he went and he met his guru, Neem Karoli Baba, and then he realized there was, there was no cause here. Somebody loving me, I don't have to... In fact, he even knows what's in my head, and I have the worst bullshit going on. I cannot believe it. And still, Ramdas, you know, yes. no problem. Yeah. So, but that's, uh, yeah, to me, that's so much of what, God, what we need. Back to his holiness, right? Mother and compassion and, uh, boy, the we stuff need, that we need uh, parental and teacher compassionate badasses, in yeah. my opinion, people yeah. that are courageously willing to do their own work, to drop their own conditioning and work it and then show up to these kids. Yeah, that's, that's a tall do. order, boy. You just, oh God, you know, with the pandemic and just think of all the teachers that are, um, some of them have facing decisions that they're not party to in terms of vaccination you know that's a whole other polarization yeah uh and 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 at 
you're supposed to like dig in here to yourself and right you know it's very difficult boy yeah very that's why i'm saying the small moments Mm. you know that you drop in with the kid drop in with yourself because there's going to be a swirl of crap for the for the foreseeable future uh for particularly for people in roles like teachers or parents and really um non-resource accessible situations and they're going to need a lot of compassion and and help to have self-compassion yeah well you guys are doing your best we're we're trying Uh, Mm. I, i have to say i've met some you know teachers and you know professionals that are really in the trenches that just blow me away despite these conditions with how much they show up to kids wow. and they ain't read my book. They don't really need to, you know, because they, they have learned how to drop in despite hmm. a lot of challenge. And, you know, I was lucky enough myself growing up to have numerous individuals. I think all of us as adults, like people listening, who was that person that prized me? And then you can, yeah. it's like, you can remember these moments. Yeah. Yeah. Where someone goes, peekaboo, I see you. And it yeah. matters. Yeah. And that it may have been just one interaction. And and it can have a very germinating effect. So, you know, I, I encourage people, you know, don't don't get lost in the macro, the Mount Everest of you know, this endeavor around your karma, your you know, your conditioning. It's 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 honorable work. Um, and yet you can have these moments if you intentionally drop in. Yeah. Really. And it's worth every bit of intention energy because it's it's not it's not them, as you said before, it's us. Yes. It's us that benefits. It's not them. I'm not going to be able to do anything for you, young woman, young man until we are in this together and I recognize that and I recognize the, the pain and the suffering that you're having to go through in this moment. Yeah. So, you know, you talked, uh, Mitch, let's see, it was uh, something else. Um, somebody did, I guess, um, some work at the University of California, L.A., uh, and it was around uh, affect labeling. Yeah, I found that uh, I have never, and it's a you know fMRI brain research scan research shows that this labeling of emotion appears to decrease activity in brain centers such as the amygdala. 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 Yes. This dampening of the emotional brain allows the brain's frontal lobe reasoning and thinking to have greater sway over solving the problème du jour. Yeah. <laughs> and this is where mindfulness comes in. Yeah, uh, talk about that a minute. That's uh, fascinating stuff, actually. Yeah, yeah it's, it's great. I think the last name of the researcher, I'm blanking on the first name, is Lieberman. Um, but, uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew, yeah. Yeah, Matthew Lieberman. And others have done this, looked at this. And, you know, it's really, it's, I like this because it, it almost sounds like it has the feel of a hack. It's like, oh, wait, there's this one little thing I can do. And, it, you know, and, yeah. you know, 
Yeah, yeah. And and it does help to because it it shifts the processing of the brain if we can build a habit of just labeling even just quietly to ourselves. And this is, you know, many meditators have known this for years. Anger, 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 anger is here. Yeah. Right. And just yeah. label, but you know, whether you're formally practicing or you're in a moment, you know, to yourself, just like anger, 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 and that you're using your frontal lobe to do the labeling and it starts slowing down the, the frenetic firing of neurons deeper in the brain and the limbic system where the amygdala and other emotional centers are. Maybe don't start with anger, though. What's that? Maybe don't start with anger in terms of, I'm going to start late because that one takes you right down a, the pike so fast down you would. Down hole. Yeah. <laughs> How about uh, pleasure, eating? Eating, yeah. chewing, you know, all of that. Let's start yeah. there because it could be less. Uh... Well, the ideal ideal is that you know, I think most of your listeners are cool with this, but like, you know, Mitchness is, you know, feeling touching. Mitchness is, uh, you know, you know, feeling cold, 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 you know, like more sensory. Mm-hmm. versus yeah. being like you're downstream anger 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 yeah right yeah you're too uh-huh. far down and just really label that sensory experience and you know it opens up the space uh for intention to show up mm. yeah And again, every it's just back to what I was saying. This is for everybody. This isn't. You should do this so you can relate with your kid and prize them uh, more better. Do this because these are the things. Along with uh, any kind of, I mean, just a breathing practice. We don't even go to meditation. If you just, as you said, just start with thirty seconds, a minute, get to five minutes. Yeah, and you'll be surprised uh, the spaciousness that gets created and the ability to not react the way that one might have so quickly before, and that'll translate for sure in t- in terms of interaction with uh, with children, with your children, with any children. I mean, that's right. We're we're all getting into a situation. Oh, I love this in the book though. <laughs> this is great. The verbal pokers. It's called of. <laughs> Quote or parentheses, non truth talking. Uh, yeah, so you start to read through. Uh, you, you need to. When I was younger, and when I was your age, rather, I would. Uh, you're 12 years old. Don't you think you should? <laughs> yes. When, yeah, yeah I, I think the way I, I tried to frame it, like, how often do parents start a, a statement with, you need to, or you just need to? Yeah. And is the kid when is the kid ever perk up and actually look at you and say, "Oh, why thank you for pointing that out to me. Now I will do exactly what you want." <laughs> Kids stop listening as soon as they hear that verbal poker. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you as the adult become the peanuts teacher wah, 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 at that yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> or how about just relax and listen to me? Opposite yeah. happens immediately or calm down. Okay, calm down. that really changes everything are you listening to it sounds like you're talking to your dog you know a lot of this the way that we treat our children is is kind of the way we treat our dogs our pets 
It's yes. crazy when you really look at it. Uh, and, and and listen, you know, I've done it. I've done the verbal pokers. I'm sure I've done some, you know, verbal poking with my kids in the past 48 hours. You know, <laughs> and you, if you get with the practice of this, you just, you, A, you can show up to self-compassion more readily after, sometimes even in the moment. And I do, I, I do want to say this while I'm thinking of it, a big part of this prizing mindset and this is super important, doesn't get talked about enough. If you catch that you have done a verbal poker you or you raised your voice or you drop the hammer on the kid in a really draconian way, you can catch it, feel it, feel the regret in you. And instead of beating yourself up, you can turn back to that child and take a knee psychologically. Because <laughs> we're in... And we've seen in grand display in recent years how hard that is for some people to do this. And yet, how powerful is it when an adult to a child says, you know what? I messed up just now. Hmm. I raised my voice with you. And that didn't even feel good to me. I can't even imagine how it felt to you. Mm-hmm. That is powerful when adults show up to kids. And I've seen that when I've intentionally done that with kids that have been traumatized, abused, neglected. They're like, they look at me, they would look at me like deer in the headlights. They had nothing to say. Their brain had no script for that. Hmm. And that's amazing. I knew that a seed was being planted. Fertile ground was there in that deer in the headlights look. Right. <laughs> that's so great, Mitch. Uh, this uh, here's another thing that crosses over to this uh, Winnicott stuff. Uh, you have the sweet sound of silence. Uh, meaningful silence is pressurable and durable platinum. Um, so this again, you know, it's kind of funny. I don't know how I even remembered this, but he says a parent needs to discover how to hold a child not just physically but in silence. Mm. In fostering a state of un- unintegration, unintegration rather, by being present but not interfering, a parent creates a holding environment that nourishes a child. In so doing, she sustains and encourages her child's psychic life in a way that my, uh, he referred to a story of his friends and not being able to talk to his child with any sincerity. It just yeah. felt like, bullshit, you know, baby talk, you know, all that. Uh, Yeah. And how do we worry about how we talk to children? It's a little bit, we should be worried about how we talk to ourselves to start with, you know, Um, on some, he knew he wasn't giving her the chance to relax. She had to remain on guard, mobilized to respond to her father's anxiety because he didn't know how to even talk. She could not float away into her own experience. My friend was setting up a situation which his daughter would have to stay too attentive to him and too afraid of the depths of her own self. That's beautiful. Uh, I mean, that's pretty, I don't know. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people see silence as such either a threat or passivity in interaction um, or as a weapon. You know, it can be used as a weapon. And it's kind of become what in the business corporate world or in healthcare, like, oh, yeah, you're supposed to use silence with people. So then it becomes used in this like hack kind of way. People are like, what are you doing? Um, Versus warm, compassionate 
allowing mindful silence that, and I think when mm. said it way better than I can, that, you know, it allows that psychic life of the child. It allows them to explore and to start to relate to their own experience. It's crucial. Sure. Yeah. That's such a, a big thing. If, if there is an environment by which there's the conditioning is more about openness to go inside and look and see what is the interior self? What is, curiosity to be able to do that can only happen, in my mind, when there's just an unconditionality to the environment, to your relationship with the child. And that has to start with, with you, because you can't give it if you don't give it to yourself first. So, yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I, I think the other thing just... You can look at it if it helps parents. You can look at it tactically. If you stay quiet a bit more, you know, you're going to notice things, particularly if you're aware and mindful. You're going to notice little nuances and nooks and crannies in that kid. You might be able to reframe things better Mm. if you're just launching in to say the next thing. Um, And so there's a data collection advantage when you allow for silence. Yeah, and then there's yeah. the the warmth, compassion advantage. But uh, if you looked inside the Leave It to Beaver current household, it's a bunch of people on their device, and no communication That's- is going on. So this increases this issue uh, a thousandfold. I mean, it is, uh, and, and, and look at what's going on. I mean, my little, uh, I have a six, seven-year-old granddaughter, and she's, yeah, communicating and, and completely absorbed into the technology. And, and they're all doing it, each one, the parents and all the kids, they're all doing it, and it stops the it's everywhere everywhere yeah yeah it's it's uh i i end up dealing with this daily in my clinical practice i bet and it's usually if i'm dealing with it directly i know it's going on with everyone um but if a parent is bringing it to me about their kid on their screens they're like basically wanting the dry cleaning approach i'm going to drop this kid of mine off for therapy with you so you can get them off their screen and I don't disagree with the value of them being off their screen, but how are we going to relate to that child around the fact that they are so drawn in by that uh, versus just ripping it out of their hands? Um, I, I hear from kids over and over again. It's how I connect with other kids. Mm, especially now. And if you just try and take it. Yeah. And so there, there are ways in which we have to work with kids around their, frankly, addictions to these devices yeah. that have been designed to foster habit patterns. Yeah, 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 absolutely. First, we have to figure out our addiction to the device. Start there. Well, Jesus. I was talking, my, my Apple iPhone sitting right here within reach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. A little glance over, you know. Oh, right. so uh, everybody, of course... Um, we will have links to uh, Mitch's book, Prizeworthy. And, and then I, we didn't even get a chance to talk about this. Well, this is for all of us out there. If you, you have any chance at uh, getting into a spacious uh, 
attentive place with your child, the first thing you need to do is this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you put this deck together. It looks really cool. I just looked through it briefly, but 60 science-based strategies to break cycles of worry and fear. And it's uh, Judson Brewer did it with you, right? And, yes. of course, yeah, he's it's great. book, yes. Uh, yeah, and I've uh, done a chat with him as well. So uh, all of that will be linked up in the show notes, everybody. And uh, it's a... It's been a, another pleasure. Uh, this, this, is, this to me is really important. Uh, uh, it's, it's out of my usual thing that I talk about, but that's not true. I've done a couple of things with uh, uh, a couple of people who had written, I thought, really uh, great books on how to uh, really bring children up correctly. If, yeah. Whatever, that's not a good word, but we know what I mean. And right. yeah, but it's so important now. And now with the pandemic and what that's done, uh, the isolation and so on, it's just uh, extraordinary. Oh, so yeah. thanks, thanks for the work, man. Really, thank, really, you really, really. You're really, good. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, pleasure, pleasure. All right, everybody. We will see you next week on Mind Rolling and on the Be Here Now Network. Go to beherenownetwork.com and catch all, uh, some of the people that we just mentioned, of course, uh, are doing podcasts, Joseph Goldstein and Sharon Salzberg and uh, people like that. Ram Dass. Alan Watts is part of the thing now. Did you know that? Yes. It's amazing. I did not. I did not. Yeah. So, yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. It's so fun hearing, you know, this stuff from him. All truth is immutable though truth is immutable doesn't time is the nothing that's right but that that angle on it is beautiful yeah i love yeah it's very unique it's so great (laughs) he's so great just the way he talks is enough i I just like that (laughs) uh uh, all right mitch thank you all right take care thank you so much